Well, church, it's good to be with you today. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of our pastors, and I spend a lot of my time at the Olathe campus on Sundays. We work closely with Paul and the other campus pastors, closely with our residents, so Johnny, uh, and yeah, it's just a delight to be able to, to be with you and see some old friends and uh, open God's Word as we continue our time together uh, in the, the Gospel of John. And uh, we're going to read our text in just a moment. Before we do that, though, I want us to kind of do it a little bit of an imaginative exercise. Uh, and just imagine with me that you can have dinner at your home with anybody you want. Anybody. Dead or alive. And it's not going to be weird. Like, I know that's the first thing. It's like, oh, I don't even know if I want to meet that person. Uh, but just imagine, like, you get to sit down with, like, your hero, somebody you deeply admire and respect. Who would be on your, on your short list for dinner at your house? Come on now. My daddy. My daddy. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. Mandy? Mitchell says, <laughs> that's good, that's good, yeah. Who else? I mean, come on, Patrick Mahomes, right? It's like, that'd be, that'd be on the list. I really want to ask him about his ankle. Is it really okay? You going to be okay? Uh, who else? Who else? Come on. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, okay, interesting. All right, all right. I like the variety here. Let's see, who else? John See, that's, 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 that's where I'm going with this. So that's Johnny Cash would absolutely be the top of my list. Uh, but maybe, maybe you're not a Johnny Cash person. All right, Taylor Swift, anybody? Right, that'd be kind of fun. Or, uh, I mean, Jeff Bezos or, the, or Elon Musk. Those would at least be fascinating. Uh, Tom Brady. Okay, ooh, okay. We're going to get in some fights here, aren't we? That's interesting, interesting. Settle down, everybody. Settle down. Okay, so you have this person in mind. Uh, so even if you didn't shout somebody out, have somebody in mind that you would love to just sit down, quiet. It's not going to be awkward. That'd be weird, not be scary, dinner with at your home. Uh, so you, the, the, the big day comes. Again, for me, it's Johnny Cash, without, without a doubt. Uh, but the big day finally comes. Uh, your other guests are there. So you've invited some close friends and family members to come and be a part of that. Nobody's late for this dinner, right? Uh, but then finally, he or she is standing there at your door. You can hardly believe it, right, as they enter into your, into your house. And you were afraid at first it'd be awkward or that you were going to you know, scream like you were at some boy band concert. None of that happens, so you're kind of relieved. And instantly, like, you, you just feel comfortable around this person, right? You're still in awe, but you can't believe how, how friendly they are and how warm they make you feel, right? All the, it's, it's, everything's going perfectly. You have dinner together, you hear all these stories. Uh, then you get a private concert in your living room and he goes to your favorite album. Again, this is, this is my story here. Um, yours might be a little bit different, but all this is absolutely perfect, okay? Your hero. Somebody you deeply admire. And then all of a sudden, you, you notice somebody coming back from down your hall. They had left a, a few minutes ago, actually kind of a surprising long time ago. Uh, and you're wondering, like, okay, what's, what's happening? They have a concerned look on their face. Okay, everything's been perfect at this moment. And so you're a little bit nervous because this is like, this is your day, right? You know, the day I got married to Kelly was great, but this is pretty close, right? Uh, and so you see them coming, and they start whispering to somebody else, and you can't hear what they're saying, but you know that they're concerned, and your honored guest does overhear. You can see it on their face. And they, they stand up, and they go over and start talking to these people. And you're like, oh, my goodness. What is, you're like, panic is starting to settle in. It's like, what is wrong? What's happening? Everything's been perfect at this point. And then you, you hear them say, okay, whether it's uh, Patrick Mahomes or Taylor Swift or Johnny Cash or Mitch Holtus, you hear them say, no problem. I'll take care of it. Seriously, it's, it's, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy to do it. That's all you hear. And so now you're like really intrigued about what's happening in this space, right? Uh, and so they leave the room. And so a minute later, you follow because you have to see like, what are they possibly doing? You go down the hall, you turn the corner, and what you see next, you can't even hardly believe. There they are in your bathroom, 
plunger in one hand, Lysol wipes in the other, plunging your toilet and cleaning your bathroom. Like, what do you, what do, you do in that moment? Like, this is your hero, somebody you deeply admire. Like, if, like I would immediately, I'd, I'd be horrified. I'd want to grab it out of their hands. Like, please, just go, Mr. Cash, please just go back to the party, right? I, I would lose it, right? Or, I mean, that's best case scenario. Worst case, I think this is like some scam. Like, is, is this like gonna, am I going to end up on TikTok, like some publicity stunt? Because nobody is this nice. Nobody does this, right? This is not what we expect from our heroes or our celebrities, people powerful or wealthy. That's not what we expect. We expect, typically, if we're honest, we expect more for them to use things for themselves, right? To, to be served, not to serve. No one is this nice. Now, hold that thought, and let's go ahead and read our scripture for today. Would you stand with me, if you would? John 13. We're going to go through all of chapter 13 today, uh, so we've got quite a bit of text, but I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then I'm going to jump down to the end in verse 34 and 35. John, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the head of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And let's skip down to the end, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So now imagine Jesus, right, at your home with a plunger. And the reality is, though, culturally, what he's doing here is worse. What he's doing in this moment is even lower than that. Washing someone's feet in the first century was a job only reserved for the lowest of the low of the low. Only non-Jewish slaves, so no, no self-respecting Jew, certainly not a rabbi, would even consider doing something so unthinkable. And maybe, maybe we hear this story, right? Maybe you've heard it before. We think, What's, it's such a nice story. Like, we like a Jesus who does this, right? It's kind of it's warm and soothing a little bit. But the reality is, like, they would not have thought that in the first century. Humility was not considered a virtue in the first century in, in their culture. Uh, this, these, this sort of action was not, would not have considered a, a virtue. So, like, the reason we value humility in our culture today, the reason we admire selfless acts of love today is actually because of the influence Jesus has had on our world. Does that make sense? None of them would have, would have had any appreciation for this early on. The re, we have been so shaped, we don't realize this, we've been so shaped in the Western world, uh, in, our, in our culture, by what Jesus has done, that we, we kind of expect it almost, Right? But this would have been absolutely unthinkable for them. None of them would have seen this coming. This, was, this would not have been considered a virtue. And so when he did this, I mean, it's truly worse than Taylor Swift with a plunger, which, by the way, is an image that you just can't get out of your head once you start imagining it. It's like, like this is absolutely degrading. It's appalling. It's unthinkable. Like, Jesus, what are you thinking? 
And he's not just a celebrity. Like he's not just some fun person we want to have dinner with sometime. He is the king of the universe. He's God himself, the creator of all things, the one who came to redeem and to rescue us, the king. And so the question we have to wrestle with today is this. How do we respond to a foot-washing king? How do we respond to a king who wants to wash our feet? Okay, so we're in John 13. If you haven't turned there already, please do. John 13. So uh, we've been in John really for a long time, but with this, we've kind of restarted in the second half of John in the final week of Jesus' life. And already when we get to John 13, we're in, we're, it's Thursday, okay? Uh, so we're getting close, people, right? At least uh, time-wise. This, later on tonight, so we're, having, we're in the dinner scene right now, but later on tonight he's going to be arrested, right? Betrayed by one of his colleagues, denied by one of his closest friends, He's going to be put on a mock trial, and then tomorrow afternoon he's going to be crucified in the most brutal way imaginable. So all, all this is like coming very, 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 very soon, right? And, and yet if you're looking, it's like, man, we got, we got a lot of John left. My goodness, there's so much here. Well, that's because some of the most significant teaching that happens in John from Jesus is that Thursday night. In fact, Paul mentioned this last week, that there's a, a significant shift here from last week to this week. Last week was, was Jesus' final address to the public. It was his final kind of like message to the crowds, right? And now everything else is this intimate conversation he has, just him and his disciples, up in this upper room or in the garden, right? Just, just his closest friends, and all of it begins with Jesus washing their feet. That's how this, this final and incredible segment of John begins. And, and John doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't want us to miss the uniqueness of what's happening here, because John was there. Which I, I just love that. I, love, I have to remind myself, like, John actually saw these things. He experienced this. Like, Jesus washed his feet, right? He knows what that felt like in that moment. And so he wants us to recognize the weight. So again, let me read verse 1. He says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Stop there for a second, because that phrase, he loved them to the end, right? Twice he talks about their love there. And love is at the heart of the story, which all builds to the command that we read, right? At the very end of the chapter, verse 34 and 35, that we are, com- we are meant to, to love like him, and that's, that's how people are going to know that we're his followers, right? You remember that part? And so everything in between here is Jesus showing us what that love looks like, right? John doesn't want us to miss this. It's all about love, and here's a snapshot of what, what it looks like for the Son of God to love his people. So then verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Again, you've got you to stop there, because John, he's being incredibly emphatic, right? He said it a couple times in a couple of different ways already. He does not want us to miss that Jesus knows what's going on. He knows who he is. He's not confused about anything. He wasn't like, oh, I thought I was the servant here. Like, no, John is like over the top. Jesus knows every detail about this moment. He knows that he's going to die soon. He knows that Judas is going to betray him, right? He knows even, it says that the Father, God in heaven, has given all things into his hands. Right? Think about that. That he, that he is the rightful king of the universe. He knows that. And he knows that he came from God and that he's going back to God. And knowing all of that, verse 4, he rose from supper, 
He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What an incredible Savior we have. I mean, this is, this is worse than cleaning the stranger's bathroom at a dinner party, right? A task only reserved for the lowest of the low. You wouldn't even associate with the person whose job this was. But it was necessary. Like culturally, in that environment, like somebody, somebody had to do it. I mean, you can kind of imagine the smell in that room prior to the washing. Like they're getting ready for dinner. It's, a fancy, it's the Passover. It's kind of a big deal, right? Somebody, somebody needs to do this, right? You, we've, I'm not trying to be gross, but you've probably had that moment where you like take off your sandals. And you're like, man, I think I've been wearing these a little bit too long, right? A little too often. It's, it's awful, right? And this is, this is all they wore. And they, they walked everywhere. There were no showers, right? Febreze hadn't been invented yet. This was a disgusting job. But truly, somebody had to do it to make the environment more palatable for everybody. Somebody had to. But it was, it was disgusting. This is why Peter is so shocked, right? And I love Peter's response. He's like, Lord, do you wash my feet? And he actually refuses. So if we keep reading there, verse 8, Peter says to Jesus, you shall never, like over my dead body, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Meaning, like, we can't hang out anymore, right? This is, this is part of me being your friend, right? Me being your, your, your savior, and so Peter immediately backpedals, right? Because he knows he doesn't want that. He's like, well, then wash all of me, right? Clean all of my bathrooms. Like, whatever, whatever it takes, right? Jesus, do all of it. Because the reality is what Jesus is doing here is more than just washing feet. It's not less than washing feet, but it's certainly more, right? He's showing us symbolically that all of us need to be washed. That we're, we're dirty. Like, there are messes around us, within us done to us and that we do to others that we need, we need washing from, like our shame, our guilt, our regret, all of our brokenness, that you and I need to be washed. And so what do we do with a king who washes feet? Well, the first thing is we let him wash our feet. Which even, even to say it sounds ridiculous, right? Even to think about that, it's like, oh, I need to let Jesus, if he asks, I need to let him wash my feet. But this is, this is the first thing, right? We, we actually have to let the king of the universe serve us. Like, that's how we enter into his kingdom, right? That's how we enter into this relationship with him. We have, like, Jesus, serve me, right? Which, again, sounds almost heretical to say that that's what we do, but we have to let Jesus serve us. We have to let him wash us, which is hard for Peter. It's clearly, he doesn't want anything to do with this, in fact, and if we're completely honest, it's probably hard for most of us as well, right? And for Peter, maybe it's a sense of shame. I think that's a big one for, for us too, right? Peter's probably thinking at this point, it's like, my feet are dirty. Like, this is a gross job. It's like, I don't, I don't want you to do that. And, and maybe if we're completely honest with ourselves, we realize that our souls are dirtier still, right? And so there's this temptation to hold back. It's like, Jesus, I don't, I don't want you in that space. I'm uncomfortable with you seeing into that space in my life. I'm too ashamed. Or maybe we think, let me just, let me clean myself up a little bit first, right? Let me, let me at least spray a little cologne on my feet before I get down there, right? That's what we think we have to do in order, just because we have shame that we carry. It could also be pride for Peter or for us, right? Maybe Peter's thinking, well, I wouldn't possibly do that for somebody else. And if I, if I wouldn't do that, how could I possibly let Jesus do that for me? 
But the reality is, if, if we don't let Jesus serve us, if we don't let our foot washing king wash us, we can have no part with him. So Peter relents, right? What about us? Will we let him serve us? Have you let him wash you? Even, even the worst parts, right? Even our heavy, dirty souls, the places that we want no one to ever see or even know about, the things that we lie to ourselves about, have we let him in there and said, Jesus, wash me? He wants to serve you. And the reality is, before we can even talk about serving this king, we have to let this king serve us. It feels very backwards. But that's life in his kingdom, right? That's the kind of God that we serve. So that's the first thing. Let him wash you. Second, go back to the story. Go back to the story. So he washes our feet. And again, put, like, put yourself in that place. Keep in that imaginative spot. So he, he's washed everybody's feet in this room, right? We're all a little cleaner now because of what he's done. And after that's done, he explains that he now expects something from us. Probably saw that coming, right? It's probably no surprise. He expects something from those who have been clean. Verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So if, if you've been washed... If you've experienced the cleansing power of what Jesus offers to his people, I think there are three expectations that come out of the story that Jesus has for us. Three, three expectations for those who've been washed. First, our foot-washing king expects us also to choose the low places. To choose the low places. That's probably the most obvious, right, when you, when you hear this story, when you think about this. Because Jesus here, like, he serves them in the most humiliating way. It's not just humbling, it's humiliating, what Jesus does. And then after, after doing that, you know, he's, he's washing his hands, cleaning it up, and he says, okay, now it's your turn. Go and do the same that I've just done for you. And it makes me wonder, church, have we, have we missed this as God's people? That the fundamental job description of the Christian is service. The posture is humiliating. Humility, even to the point of being humiliating. And the lifestyle is one of sacrifice. It's who we're meant to be. And I, and I know those, those spaces, I've done it too, maybe you've done it, you've, you've you know, had an opportunity to serve, and you know, we have these lists of excuses that we make, you know, where it's like, well, I'll, I'll, do, I'll serve in that way if I feel like it, right? If I, if I have time, those are kind of the the least noble, or, or we'll say, well, I'll, I'll serve in that way if I feel gifted in that. It's something that, I, you know, I feel called to, I feel good at, right? I feel appreciated in. And I, I get all that. I understand that. Um, but have you ever thought about how incredibly self-centered that is? How we as humans can even make something like service ultimately all about us, right? It's like, well, I'll do it if it's something that I'm really good at or I enjoy. Like, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that we do that, isn't it? I mean, I understand I've been there as well, right? But that's not what Jesus does here, is it? Like, we don't serve when we feel like it. You think Jesus was just, like, in the mood for feet, right, to do that? No, I was like, that's ridiculous. We don't just serve when we're gifted at it. Like, Jesus had, like, a special calling. He's like, I'm really good at feet, right? It's ridiculous. Like, no, he did it because somebody had to do it, period. And we as his people, we serve when there's a need. If it needs to be done, we do it even in the lowest places, because this is what Jesus, King Jesus, did for us. Like, this is one of my, one of my annual, annual speeches with our pastoral residents. 
Uh, I, love, I love working with our residents. Uh, we showed this slide, I think, a couple weeks ago. So Johnny, you know, right? Johnny's officially become a resident in January. We love that guy. Uh, and Nidhi Aris joined him uh, as well downtown. So she just started. And then we have Caleb and Dakota, uh, uh, a couple of our other campuses. And I love this. We've been doing this for a long time as a church. One of my favorite things about Christ Community. We're a teaching hospital, essentially, where seminary grads come here, and they serve for two years, and we get to mentor them and equip them, and they serve us, and we serve them, and then we send them out all across the country. I, mean, I just I absolutely love this thing, uh, and I'm just really grateful. It's, we couldn't do it without your generosity, so thank you for letting us do that. And so uh, one of, you know, I have lots of uh, regular things that I try to work through with the residents, but my very first, one of my very first orientation conversations with them, so I just had this a couple weeks ago, and I love that I have to do this every year because I need, I need to hear it coming out of my mouth, right? But I always tell them every single year when they start, I say, you know, there are going to be times when we're going to need you to make coffee, or take out the trash, or tidy a bathroom, and occasionally even like plunge a toilet or clean up vomit. It could happen, right? And I just I want to say right up front, like I want you to know that is not because you're a resident. Like that's not because we think you're like at the bottom of the totem pole, like the lowest on the on the ladder. Like that's that's not who you are. That's not how we treat you. That's not how we think of you, right? We asked you to do that because you're a pastor. That's it. And all of, all of us have done that. And in pastor, that's part of our job description is whatever, whatever it takes to serve God's people uh, in his church. That's, that's what we do. And, and I, I love, again, I love that I have to do that every year because it's such a good reminder. Uh, but a couple of years ago, um, one of our residents, Brent, he's at our Leewood campus uh, on staff now, uh, corrected me. And I love this. I love that he did this. He just stopped and said, Nathan, we don't do that because we're pastors. We do that because we're Christians. It's like, oh, yeah, Right. Schooled by a resident. I love it. I love it, right? But we need those reminders, right? This is not for some special group of people. This is for those who follow Jesus, those who have been served by the king of the universe. Part of our identity now is to choose the low places, even, even when we don't feel like it. And if you want to know what it looks, if you want to imagine a Christian, one of the first images that should come to, to, to mind is Jesus on his hands and knees with a basin and towel doing the most, like the lowest job imaginable. That's what it looks like, full stop. And if we're not doing that, we're probably not actually following him. And so whose feet, whose feet are you washing? Who are you serving humbly, sacrificially with your time, talent, and treasure? What does that look like in your life? And, and hopefully you've begun to brainstorm in this. certainly have, right? Well, I should do this for Kelly, my wife, right? I should do this for my kids, my neighbors, my colleagues at work, those that I, I get the privilege of leading, like I, that should be part of it. And, and hopefully you're doing that same exercise, right? The people closest to you. Because if you're not doing it there, you're not going to do it anywhere else, right? It's got to start with the people closest to you. It's got to start with the people you like. But believe it or not, that's the easy part. Because go back, go back to the story. Notice how much time in chapter 13 is given to this guy, Jesus. Because it starts off, right? He mentions Judas, this, this disciple who's going to betray Jesus. And then there's even a whole section in there we didn't even take time to read about Judas and him kind of working out this scheme and some of the weird things that Jesus says to him there in that space as he leaves to do this. John wants us to know. He wants, like the timing of events is really important for John. He wants us to know, like Jesus already washed his feet. And, and Jesus knew all of this was going to go down, right? He knew this was going to happen. He knows what Judas is about to do. And the, the chapter even ends with Jesus basically saying to Peter, hey, Peter, it's great that I just washed your feet, right? And your faith is really hot right now. Um, but later on tonight, I want you to know, Peter, you're going to get up from this table. Your feet are still going to be clean, Peter. 
And you're going to deny three times that you even know who I am. You're going to lie to people about everything that we've been through these last three years. You're going you're to tell them you don't even know me. But cool, go ahead and you know, go off the, on your way. Right? That's how the chapter ends, right? Think about that for a moment. So sure, yeah, wash the feet of the people you like, serve them well. But if we think that's all it means to be a Christian, we're kidding ourselves. Because our foot-washing king expects us also to do this for our least favorite people. To love even our least favorite people. That's the second thing. You have them, right? Your least favorites. I have my least favorites. But look what Jesus does. Jesus serves Peter, who denies him. And I mean, it's not as bad as Judas, right? Granted, but it's got to be a colossal disappointment. I mean, you just got to feel for Jesus in that moment. It's like, we've been together for three years, Peter. And Peter, he's one of the 12, but he's also one of the three, like Jesus' three closest friends throughout the Gospels, consistently in all of them. And he denies that he even knows who he is. Think how disappointing that must be, like how painful that must be. Do you have any disappointing people in your life? They're not not bad people, right? But they've let you down, maybe consistently over and over and over. It hurts after a while, doesn't it? And then, of course, you got Judas, They also worked side by side for three years. He's one of his 12 disciples. And Judas actively conspires with Jesus' enemies to destroy him. He takes steps that are going to lead to Jesus hanging on a cross. Betrayal. I tried to think about this the last couple of weeks. Like, does anything anything hurt worse than betrayal? I'm not not sure, right? Because, I mean, strangers hurt us, and they hurt us all the time. They can hurt us deeply. I'm not minimizing the pain that a stranger can do, but only a friend can betray you. Like, only, only a spouse or a colleague or a child or a parent, like somebody on your team, somebody that you thought had your back, right? And then in a moment of vulnerability, they just shove a knife right in your back. That's, that hurts. Most of us know what that feels like to some extent, right? And Jesus washes Judas's. What's he asking us to do? I may, maybe you're thinking, though, but yeah, but Nathan, nobody actually does this. Right? Our world doesn't lo- work this way. Nobody actually lives like this. Right? And you're right. You're right. But I think Jesus knows that, too. I think that's why this story builds to what Jesus calls a new commandment in verse 34. Because it's, it's, in some ways it's not new, and yet it seems brand new, right? Listen, listen again to what Jesus says in verse Verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Again, on the one hand, nothing's new here. And I think this does lead to the the last thing, the third thing here, that our foot-washing king expects us to show the world something brand new. Something brand new. Something unexpected, right? That's kind of the idea. A love like this. Because again, this isn't a new thing. God's people have always been commanded to love. I mean, that's all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture. It's not a new commandment, right? And we've always seen God, even throughout the Old Testament, as a God who loves and serves compassionately his people, right? So there's many ways, there's nothing new about it. And yet there's something new about this example that we're given. And the way in which it's it's given that this this is actually now the new identifying mark of who we are as his people is our love. That the defining characteristic of the Christian ought to be the way we love one another. Not our theology, not by how right we think we are, not by our morals or our politics, 
not our Sunday services or our church buildings. We should be known by our love. And Jesus defines love here as a basin and towel of humble service, even to those who would deny us and betray us. Because this is exactly what Jesus has done and continues to do for each one of us, isn't it? Because we continue to deny him, right? We continue to betray him. I think that's probably true, all of us in this room. Yet even so, he's always there ready to wash us, right? To cleanse us. He gave his life. He poured it out on a cross for us to come and to get us, right? To, to receive us into his kingdom, into his family. He loves us like this, and we get to join him now in doing the same for the people around us. And when we do, when we actually live like this, just think about the impact that can have. In fact, social historians, and I can point to a couple of resources if you want to, to check it out, but point, point out that this is one of the primary reasons why the Christian movement grew so fast in the first centuries. Because think about it, there's no reason Christianity should have taken off, right? Not with the hostility. I mean, Jesus was dead and then, uh, you know, ascended into heaven, right? Resurrected and ascended into heaven. He's, he's out of the picture. Uh, his disciples, you know, they're kind of a bunch of clumsy guys who are just trying to figure it out, who are terrified at first, right? And then they're, they're persecuted early on. There's no reason the Christian movement should have spread. But social historians point out that one of the primary reasons, because we actually did this, we actually loved across socioeconomic lines, across ethnic lines, like, uh, and even our enemies, we showed compassion and grace even towards those who sought to destroy us. And that literally, not figuratively, literally changed our world. And just imagine what that could do in your family, in your home, right? Imagine in your office, right, if that was your posture and the posture of the other Christians around you, your school. Imagine Kansas City. Imagine our church. Last week, I, a couple weeks ago, I heard a story from our downtown campus, and they said we could, we could share this. I just I love this. It's about a, a couple. They just had started attending Christ Community at our downtown campus, new to the, new to the city, and they have an adopted daughter. Uh, and last month, the uh, biological parents called them out of the blue and said, hey, um, we're pregnant again. Would you like to adopt again. Would you like this baby? Um, we're due next week. So like, you know, right away, it's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, so a lot to take in, right? A lot to process. And then just to complicate matters, because they were new to Kansas City, new to jobs, both working outside the home, they didn't have any, any paid time off. I don't know if you know this, newborns take a lot of time. Everybody probably know that. Take a lot of time, right? And so they, they, just, they don't know how they could possibly make this work. They say yes. I mean, they, they know in that moment that's what God is asking them to do. They just have no idea how they're going to, to, to make, make that work, right? And they feel the pain of that. But then a family um, in the church heard about it and offered to pay their mortgage for the entire three months that they were off uh, to be able to take that pressure off, right? It's a beautiful picture of what God's church can do when we love one another like that. Because by this, Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so how do we respond to a king who washes feet? Like that, right? God help us, church. Let's pray. We'll go ahead and close your eyes. Um, but before I pray... And as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, let's just take a moment. Go back to that place of imagination. Um, and actually imagine Jesus right now washing your feet. And just ask, 
whether or not there's something you might be holding back in that moment, um, let him serve you right now. Take a moment to do that. And while he's scrubbing your feet, go ahead and ask him, whose feet am I supposed to be washing? What are the ways that I can choose the low place to humbly serve? Let's just sit with that for a moment. Oh, Lord Jesus, our King who washes feet. Thank you. Thank you that we have a King, we have a God, that we have a Savior who's willing to serve us, even in our places of deepest shame and need and desperation. And so, Lord Jesus, would you wash us clean in ways that we not just know theologically that we've been forgiven, but experientially that we know that we've been cleansed by you for whatever we've done wrong. And so, God, even whatever is holding us back in that space, whether it's shame, whether it's pride, God, I pray that we would let you serve us and then expand our imaginations for the ways in which we are also called to love the people around us, people in this room, in ways we can serve our church and our community, but also the people not in this room, God, maybe even some of the ones that we struggle with. Give us an imagination for how we can love all people and do that in a way that gives you honor and praise and glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.